stand if you are able for the call to worship. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever, O Lord. Awesome. we have is to come before our Lord and confess our sins. Let us together say our prayer of confession. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Rejoice that the one who has come to be our bread of life 
has given his own life that we might know forgiveness of God. This morning we are blessed and privileged to hear from Ada Hayes, who is the Outreach Director for Love's Clearinghouse Ministries. We welcome her. She is one of our mission partners, which our mission commission supports. And Ada, please come tell us about Love's Clearinghouse. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend Beth, and all of you for inviting me here today. I think I have the best job in the world because I get to go out and talk to all you nice people and tell you about our organization. I am the Church Relations Director for Love Christian Clearing House, and although we've been in existence for about 25 years, lots of people don't know about we originally uh, were started by a church in Oak Brook, by a Christ Church of Oak Brook, with only four people. And we now have grown to uh, approximately 90 churches that have partnered with us. Love is a non-denominational 
Christian organization that serves low-income families in 18 towns of southeastern DuPage County. Although DuPage County is one of the richest counties in Illinois, there are more than 50,000 needy people living here. Our ministry is one of love. We operate through a call-in center that's located in Westmont. Although the Bible instructs us not to worry about what we wear or what we eat or drink, the people that contact us do worry. They worry about how they're going to keep a roof over their heads, how to get the car started so they can get to work, how to feed and clothe their families, and how to keep the lights turned on so they can cook their food and warm their homes. Love provides for these people with rental and utility assistance, plus car repair, and referrals to other service organizations for food, clothing, furniture, or other needs they may have within the communities uh, in which they live. In addition, we will provide a minister to come and talk with them when they need one and want one, and also Bibles are delivered to the homes of people that don't have a Bible and also have requested a Bible. How do we accomplish all this? Funds are provided by our member churches, individual donors, and occasional grants from the county and foundations. The Collin Center staff is manned by volunteers. And the volunteers are really the backbone of our organization. We have only two paid part-time people, of which I am one. In 2008, we received 5,228 calls for help. We were able to serve 1,933 cases. This would not have been possible without your help. In 2008, of the 18 towns that we served, Elmhurst uh, had 112 cases that we helped. Of these 18 towns, Elmhurst also had the greatest number of increased costs in, in 2008. So that's quite surprising because I think of the 18 towns with Willowbrook, of having about 250 cases and being of the highest number of calls. Elmhurst received the most increased calls. So we always kind of think of Elmhurst as a little bit more affluent community, but you see there is need here also. In 2009, our calls increased and our funds decreased because a lot of churches are struggling. For some reason though, although some of the churches are struggling and, and could not continue contributing to us, some of the churches increased their donations. So that's really a wonderful thing that, that they did that. There are several ways that you can serve in doing God's work and participate in Love's ministry. Would you ever think of having a supplies drive here for paper products, laundry, 
detergent, shampoos, and that kind of thing uh, to help the refugee immigrants that are living here that can't afford to buy these things uh, with the food stamps that they live on. Also, we're always looking for board members. We'd really love if, if somebody would love to meet with us and become a board member and help us in governing our organization. We'd love to have you. Also, we always need volunteers. And our volunteer would be about maybe 20 minutes from here uh, to get to our office in Westmont. And that would be helping with the phones and the many calls that we receive. Or doing clerical work or doing accounting. So your talents can certainly be used if you could spare three hours a week. And we are very flexible. We have a lot of people that are snowboard birds and go away for two or three months. And when they come back, we're really happy to see them. So please consider volunteer work. We also have an exciting new program which starts September 17th. And it's especially for people who are 50 plus baby boomers and retirees who want to stay active. It will include a lunch and a very interesting speaker. We hope to provide both social and spiritual growth through our new edition of what we're calling a gap ministry. We want to reach out to people in their so-called golden years. If you know someone that needs assistance, or if you're interested in any of the programs that I've mentioned, I, I have lots to say and not too much time to say it. <laughs> and, uh, but I have lots of information for you, so uh, please see me after, after the service because I, I have a lot of information to tell you about. And then I just had one more little story to tell you. I was born in Arkansas, and I was uh, a child of the Depression. And uh, my dad had to come to uh, Chicago to get work because there was no work during the Depression in Arkansas. I still can remember how frightened I was when strangers would come to our back door and beg for food. And although my mother didn't have very much, she always found something for them to eat. And they'd sit on the back stairs and enjoy the meal. And it's funny how I do remember that, because I guess I was scared to death when this would happen. But it was a wonderful lesson learned very early in my life about the fact that people really do have to help people. It is amazing to me that ordinary people like you and me can really make a difference in this world. But why should we doubt it? One life changed our lives. One church, one volunteer, one person can change the life of someone else. So thank you so very much for your continued support of Love Christian Clearinghouse. And I really look forward to seeing you after this service. Thank you. Now, if the children of the congregation will come forward for the children's moment. Come on up, George. <laughs> he didn't think I would get him up here. Come on up. Come on up.
I think we'll come right over here, kind of, if that's okay. We'll just sit down right here. Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Oh, what a gorgeous day, isn't it? You guys getting ready for school? Thinking about it? Well, I want to ask you something. Do you like food? Yes. Do you like to eat food? Yes. What's your favorite kind of food? Go ahead. Spaghetti. Spaghetti. That sounds good. Yeah. Go ahead. Chicken nuggets. Awesome. What about you? Spaghetti. What about you? Meatballs. Well, you've got a team here, spaghetti and meatballs. I think my favorite food is chocolate. Is that a food? Okay. Well, today we're going to hear an interesting story in the Gospel of John that Jesus tells his disciples. And he tells people that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have eternal life and to be bonded with him. And so I brought a little food here today. Would you, would you like to have a little animal cracker? You can have a couple if you'd like, two or three. You can have a couple. So that story is kind of hard to hear a little bit. You know, it's kind of like, ooh, I don't know about that. But then I was just thinking, you know, why do we eat food, do you think? Yeah. So we can live. But what does food get energy? Food gives us energy, right? It gives our brain power, and it gives our muscles power, and it gives our whole body power, doesn't it? Well, do you think Jesus is telling us we're really going to eat his flesh, eat his body? Like, literally eat his body? I don't think so, either. I think, though, what he's telling us is that he wants us to have him live inside of us. He wants to come inside of us just like when we eat food and we swallow it and it goes into our body. And why do you think he would want to do that? Why do you think he'd want to live in us? That's a hard question, isn't it? And what do we say that food does? Gives us energy, right? So maybe he wants to do that so that he can give us spiritual energy, so he can nourish us and sustain us and keep us going. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? How do you think we would go about having him come into our life like that? It does seem weird, kind of, but how would we do that? Do you think if we prayed and asked him to come and help us that he would? I think he would. So I think that's kind of the lesson for us today is, is we have to put, to get, put away all our fears of how that kind of sounds scary to have him come in our body. We need to ask him to come in and nourish our very spirits. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? All right, would you like to have one more cracker? Yeah. Just remember as you're eating this that it's the Christ that really nourishes us. One more cracker. Let's pray, okay? Loving God, we come to you thankful that you are our true food. As we eat our own food to nourish our body, let us be reminded that you're the one who wants to live in us and give us the energy and the strength to be a follower of yours. Lord, we thank you. In your holy name, we pray and all God's children say, Amen. Thank you.
Doesn't that just kind of take your breath away how they're able to do that? I just want to sit there and, wow. Let us turn our hearts now to the morning scripture. Will you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, come and be present. Let this be the time and space that we release concerns, to-do lists, worries of tomorrow. Be in us so that we might be fully present to receive the gift of your word and your voice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first lesson for this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15 through 20. If you'd like to follow along with me during the reading, please turn to page 194, which is in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand that what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel reading is in the sixth chapter of John, and you will find it on page 98 in the New Testament if you'd like to follow along. We're going to start at the 51st verse. Listen for these words. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you think about all the things that Jesus said throughout his ministry, all the sermons, the teaching moments, the casual chats with his disciples when they were walking from town to town, it is amazing that in this sixth chapter of John, at least two-thirds 
of this entire chapter is devoted to Jesus' teachings that are focused on the single image of bread and his claim to be the bread of life. The word bread is used over 14 times to describe Jesus and this mysterious relationship that he desires to have with all those who are in contact with him. And I don't think it's any mistake that Jesus uses this common image. Think about bread. It's been around forever. According to the Food History website, I thought that was pretty good, bread, in one form or another, has been a principal form of food for man from earliest times. The trade of the baker is one of the oldest crafts in the world. Isn't that interesting? Loaves and rolls have been found in ancient, ancient tombs. Wow, even in tombs. And in the British Museum's Egyptian galleries, you can actually see loaves of breads that are 5,000 years old. Wow. That's pretty old, isn't it? That's way back, even, before Jesus' time. Bread is a common source of food. And you know, I think it's no mistake he used it because it's so common that everybody can afford it. Even the people that are poor, regardless of economic status, it's eaten at almost every meal. Bread is there. It's available. The repetitive nature, though, of this image of bread in these passages is a sign for us. It's an understanding that this connection between Christ and him being the bread of life, and this relationship with his followers, it's extremely important in his ministry and something that we must pay close attention to. You might be sitting there if you've been here over the last few weeks, and you think, well, geez, didn't Mike preach on bread the week before and the week before? It's true. But that tells us, hey, we got to pay attention here. This is really important stuff that Jesus is teaching us. Very important stuff. Earlier in the chapter, before this passage, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's a very familiar story. He feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. A clear example of how Jesus is just caring for the physical needs of the people. The need to just eat food. The need to just be satisfied and not be hungry. And bread is their primary nourishment. But next, Jesus moves into this next phase, and he declares that he is the bread of life, that whoever comes to him will never be hungry and never be thirsty. And now, in this passage we just read this morning, we see another transition in how this bread is used. Jesus himself tells us now that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. The image of bread progressively deepens our understanding of who Christ is for us and who he wants to be for us every day. So earlier he says, I'm the bread of life. He is the one sent from heaven, like manna, connecting himself to the Old Testament. He is the bread of life, giving eternal life to all who come to him. But now, he says, we must eat and drink of him. Literally, let him take him into our bodies. Quote, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, I don't know about you, but this notion of eating his flesh and drinking his blood might seem a little strange, maybe even a little disconcerting for us today. But I want to tell you a story that came to mind when I thought of this. I remember long ago, this was really long ago, when Ben was a Cub Scout. And uh, part of the initiation phase was they had to drink the blood of the bobcat. Do any of you remember that? The blood of the bobcat. Well, the anticipation of this event was quite troubling. And you can imagine the little boys all together going, oh, we have to drink the blood of the bobcat. And you can imagine the thoughts that are going through their mind. You know, what will this taste like? Will I get sick? Will it change me? There certainly was fear and trepidation. Well, you and I both know that it really wasn't blood, that it was really just tomato juice. And this event at Cub Scouts, you know, can really barely compare to the words that Jesus is speaking to us. But there is a similar bodily reaction that I think is real for us. What would you think if Jesus said these words to you? And what were the Jews thinking? And what did it mean to them? William Barclay helps me out with this a little bit. He said that these ideas, the eating the flesh and drinking the blood, would be quite normal for anyone brought up with ancient sacrifice. The animal was very seldom burned in its entirety, and I didn't know that. Usually only a small part was burned at the altar, and then the whole animal was offered up to the God. Part of the flesh was given to the priests as their perk, and part of the worshipers also got the feast for themselves and their friends that lived within the temple area. At that feast, the God himself was held to be a guest. More, once the flesh was offered up to God, it was held that he actually entered into their bodies. And therefore, when the worshipers ate, God was literally within them. When people rose from such a feast, they went out and they believed they were God-filled. Interesting, isn't that? That's all foreign language to us, not something we're familiar with. Animal sacrifice, eating flesh, drinking his blood... Jesus was speaking to them with language they were familiar with, language that would help them to understand more fully who he was for them. But what is this passage saying to us this morning? Jesus began by asking us to come to him, for he is the bread of life. But now he is asking us to let him come into our lives and live within us. He is wanting more in this relationship with him than just a recognition that he is the Christ. He is wanting more from us than to come here once a week and worship him. He wants more than a prayer here and there, an occasional crying out, hey, I need help here. Christ wants to live in our lives and rule in our lives every moment we are awake. From the morning we get up, to the nighttime when we close our eyes. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Now, I went back to the original Greek text, and I found something very interesting on this passage. I found instead of eat and drink, singular words, that were used in this passage, the Greek word is eating and drinking. This is significant in our understanding of what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is not referring to himself as a one-time meal. Come to the table, eat, and you will be satisfied once and forever. No. No, he is talking about so much more here. He's talking about an ongoing, never-ending dependence on him. An ongoing, never-ending surrendering to his will for us. When I think back to those Cub Scouts again, and remember the fear and trepidation that Ben and the other Cub Scouts experienced when anticipating the drinking of the bobcat blood. I can't help but think that we should also enter into this relationship with Jesus with some fear and trepidation. Christ is wanting and desiring to come into our lives and live within us and will be and are now we will be and are now different people because of him. Fear and trepidation because things will have to change within us. Things have to change in order to accommodate his holy presence. We'll have to open up and look inside those dark places within us, and we're going to have to let him see those places. We're going to have to let the light in. We'll have to let Christ see those parts of us that we're not very proud of, those parts that we really don't share with anybody else and really we're kind of hoping other people don't see it in us. We do a really good job of keeping those parts deeply hidden. We're going to have to face those dark sides of ourselves because we're going to have to hand them over to Christ. We're going to have to hand them over to him, and we're going to have to let him do his work. We'll have to allow our whole purpose and meaning in life to change because it will be Christ who is now in charge of our lives. We no longer are going to be the heads. We might have to give up old habits. Oh, my. Maybe some selfish ways. Uh-huh, I have a few of those. Our lives will be changed not just once, but they're going to be changed over and over and over again. And it won't be easy. It will be difficult and maybe sometimes painful. But those fears and trepidations will be transformed into a life when we will never be hungry and thirsty again. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And I don't know where each of you are today. I mean, I don't, I don't know where you really are on the inside. The things you struggle with, the things that you think are holding you back, I don't really know. Maybe you truly know that this Christ does live within you. Maybe you've already made that step and you're already in that process. But maybe you're like me and you still have some dark areas in your life that still hanging on to. I do know for myself the transformation is not yet complete. But take heart. 
We have a gentle Lord. We have a loving Christ, and his love for us will never let us go. This transformation doesn't happen overnight either. I sure wish it did. Don't you wish you could just make one big change and then everything would be fine and boo, you could just go on and be totally happy. No, no, no. I'm afraid it's a day-by-day surrendering, truly, a day-by-day of asking him to rule in our lives. I was talking to one of my patients last week, and I have to tell you this. When I knew I was going to preach, I started praying that I would have a good story for you because I know how much you like to have stories from my work. And I was racking my brains, and I thought, I don't have anything that fits this. And I prayed this morning, and then I went into this room, and I'm going to tell you this story. I was so amazed with how she touched me. So anyway, I was talking to one of my patients, and she was telling me about this kind of faith that I think Christ is instilling in us in this message this morning. And she said that I could share this with you today. I always ask that. Well, her name is Martha. Well, not really Martha, but we'll say her name is Martha. And she's in her 80s. Most of the patients I see are in their 80s. Brings great joy to my heart. Well, Martha lost her husband when she was quite young, very young, probably in early 30s. She had several children, I think three or four. And they were very small. She had to raise her children all by herself. Already I knew she had worked hard in life. She had to raise her children, work, care for them. But somehow she said she got by day by day. But now her children are grown, and they have children. She's a grandmother, even a great-grandmother, I think. And she was telling me, geez, I'm in my 80s. I think I can relax now. I can sit back. My kids are grown. This is my time. I can just coast. My work is done. She said, it's my time to take it easy. But now she is here at my hospital recovering after having her lower leg amputated. Can you imagine in some small way how difficult this must be for her to face this? She's in her 80s. Well, she shared with me that when she was getting ready for surgery, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. I know that happens sometimes. They get ready for surgery, and, and sometimes they think they're going to have to take part of their foot or part of their leg, but maybe they can save it. They never quite know. But right before the surgery, she said the doctor came in and told her that he was going to have to take her leg. And she said she felt the presence of Christ full, fully into her body. She couldn't even hardly explain to me what it felt like that he came into her body. She felt the presence of Christ as they were wheeling her into the operating room. And she said she knew at that moment that everything would be all right. No matter what happened, she would be all right. She told me she didn't know what she would do if she didn't have Christ with her. Now, Martha's life is not easy. She still has to face exhausting daily therapy. She has to learn to walk again with a prosthesis. She has to face her friends and their reactions to her not having a leg. Sometimes that's really hard. Life will be difficult for her in many, many ways, in many, many days ahead. 
Having Christ within does not mean that life runs smoothly, that you won't have to face difficult, even tragic times. But what it does mean is that you don't have to face them alone. Christ walked this earth in human flesh so he could identify with humanity in all of life, in our joys, in our celebrations, in our struggles, and in our challenges. He knows what life is like for us. Having Christ does not mean life is not a challenge. It means that in all the challenges and struggles, that we can all find hope and peace and contentment and joy. Christ will never, never, never give up on you. He will never, never, never stop pursuing you. His goal is to live within you now and forever. Open your heart and let the living Christ make his home in you. Amen. And now if you'll pray with me, one of my favorite prayers I pray every day at work, well, not every day, but it's a prayer from St. Ignatius Loyola. Please pray with me. Take, O Lord, and receive my entire liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my whole will. All that I am and all that I possess you have given me. I surrender it all to you to be disposed of according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace. With these I will be rich enough and will desire nothing more. Amen.
There's nothing more holy than being able to give back to our Lord for everything he gives us. This is our time to receive our tithes and our offerings. As I shared with you earlier this morning, we're grateful that the senior highs had an amazing mission trip to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, and they'll share news of that with us next Sunday morning. We've also had news from Matt Brash, one of our students who has just graduated from seminary. He preached at Gross Point Memorial Church in Gross Point, Michigan, which is just outside of Detroit. He preached there last Sunday, and that congregation voted affirmatively to call him as associate pastor for youth ministries. Thanks be to God for his call to ministry, and stay tuned for more details as we hope to be celebrating his ordination here at this church this fall. We're grateful for the work of our mission partners, and especially this day for Love's Clearinghouse and Miss Ida Hayes. Please remember them in your prayers as they continue to meet the increased needs of those in this, these communities. A few notes of concern, Ann Lampract is still recovering from the outpatient back surgery that she had a few weeks ago. 
although she does report that the level of her pain has decreased, so we thank God that her healing is moving along. Bernice Martins has been transferred to Lexington Square Rehabilitation Center, uh, where she will continue to recover from her broken hip. Her family has asked that she not have visits for another week or so, so that she might fully orient to her rehab going on there. And Mark May asks for prayers for his colleague, Paul Anglin, who is in a coma in Hinsdale Hospital with a serious infection and reactions from a recent surgery. Are there other prayers or joys and concerns that you would like to lift up this day? Barb. And her name? Barb's mom, Marge, is having a second a cataract surgery this coming week. Other prayer requests? Yes, Jack. We continue to remember Lucy Pillinger, who's recovering from surgery that happened some time ago now. She needs our continued prayers. Other prayer requests? Yes, Winnie. Uh, prayers for all those traveling back to school, whether it be the school down the block or school across the country. And also prayers for those starting their jobs and traveling to all the schools. Indeed. Yes. Uh, I'm sure over at Lexington. He's still in his apartment. So we're going to hear around the clock. He tells me he has gone to Lexington. And I think he's going back to bed. Okay. Prayers for Art Schroeder, who remains in his apartment in Lexington, um, but has shared that he might have bone cancer. Yes, Susan. Susan Spears' niece, Marsha, is pregnant and suffering with morning sickness. We pray for her good health. Other requests? Will you join me in prayer? Magnificent God, we turn our eyes in every direction, and there you are. The beauty and bounty of your creation are overflowing in our backyards, at local farmers' markets, and in the tenderly cared-for church gardens. For you, we thank you for the joys of this day and this season, for mouth-watering peaches, the comfort of shade and a gentle breeze, and time to be with family and friends. Giver of all things, give to us what you know we need, not what we want. If we are to whine, it is too hot. Then we might miss the pure joy of splashing in the cool relief of the garden hose. Lead us to an understanding and a contentment that it is neither too passive or expecting you to spoon feed us nor too controlling, wanting the power for ourselves to dictate our will to you. We pray for all those voting for a new president in Afghanistan this week. 
We pray for their courage to cast a vote, their safety and protection. May your spirit offer a change in heart for those that find the violence of bombing as the only solution to difference in ideology. Compassionate Holy One, hear our prayers for the people of Taiwan, for those left homeless, frightened, and devastated by the hurricane. We pray for recovery, shelter, and basic human needs met. We especially remember the Presbyterian missionaries, Emily and Jonathan Swift, serving in Taipei, hoping for their presence to be a comfort to all. As our nation considers a new way to offer health care, give us clarity in our listening, in our individual discernment of what might be best, not only for ourselves, but also for the poor. And let us be numb to fear tactics and false accusations of some. Embolden us to use our intelligence to discover our own conviction in issues of national importance, such as health care reform, economic stimulus, and social services in the face of budget deficits. Loving God, be with all those families that are taking their children to college this weekend and over the next weeks. Be with those children who are returning to grade school and making the transition from middle school to high school. Transitions can be challenging, delightful, tearful, and celebrations. Keep our anxieties low and our hope for the future high. Creator God, we pray for the suffering, those living with chronic pain, the critically ill, and those receiving chemotherapy. We pray for the lonely and the depressed and those suffering broken relationships. We pray this day especially for Marcia and to ask that you would be present with her and ease her morning sickness. Be with Marge this week as she undergoes surgery and surround Lucy with your healing care. Be with Mark and his family be with Bernice Martins as she goes through her rehabilitation. Hear our prayers for Anne and our prayers for Art. And now hear our silent prayers for all of those who are in need of your healing care. Bread of life, come and be the nourishment of our souls. Feed us with your food so we are sustained for this week's journeys and challenges. Place in us the joy that comes with knowing a deep, deep sense of your abiding love for each and every one of us and all humankind. May the knowledge of this love lead us to proclaim boldly that you are Lord of our life. And now together we pray as you have taught your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us join in the singing of our final hymn, for which we will remain seated while we receive the deacon's offering. Now remember, Christ is the bread of life. Open your heart today and every day and let the living Christ in. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.